Welcome, and thanks for joining us for NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, daughter, wife, mother, licensed marriage and family therapist, and outreach counselor for the Nick Finnegan Counseling Center here in Houston, Texas. We are here to offer a compass for navigating the development of self, partnerships, parenting, and the general network of connections you build across a lifetime. Today, we will be discussing Ready to Launch, how to create a relationship of trust with your launching child. Launching is the stage in the family life cycle where your adolescent is starting to go out on their own, whether that be to college, start a job or career, marry, or just live independently. They are leaving the nest and you, their family, are launching them into the world. Helping me with this conversation today is licensed marriage and family therapist supervisor, Tiandra Gordon. Dr. Gordon is Vice President of School-Based Health at Legacy Community Health in Houston, Texas. She currently oversees the operation of 27 school-based health clinics. Legacy School-Based Health Clinics are committed to drive healthy change in communities across Houston by providing primary care and behavioral health services to students and families on school campuses, making high-quality health care convenient and accessible to families. Dr. Gordon has worked at Legacy Community Health since 2012, providing individual and family therapy to families across Houston and as a leader in the behavioral health department. Dr. Gordon has testified in front of the state legislature twice as a champion for school-based health care and during her tenure as a leader in school-based health. Legacy increased school-based partnerships from seven clinics to 27 clinics across Houston. Dr. Gordon is a licensed marriage and family therapist, author, and speaker with a passion for promoting healthy families and successful child outcomes. She has publications in several scholarly journals and her research has been presented at a national conference. Dr. Tiandra Gordon is a wife, mother of five children, and author of the parenting education book, Purpose-Filled Parenting. Welcome, Tiandra. I'm going to start with Tiandra. Just tell me kind of, tell us your story, just your journey in therapy and with your kids and you're getting ready to launch your own child. So, yeah. I am. So, I mean, I'm just very passionate about supporting the healthy development of kids at every stage. I started my career as an elementary school teacher. I taught elementary school for three years. And then it was in that environment that it just really kind of confirmed the impact that parenting and the home life has on development. Nature is a huge part in who we become, but nurture creates the circumstances for us to really thrive in that. Mm-hmm. So it, that just really put the nail on the head for me as far as my passion of just helping families to operate optimally, to have healthy relationships. I'm very passionate about parenting and parenting education. I did my dissertation research. Um, in my research, I interviewed parents about the things that influenced who they became and in turn what they thought it took to be successful in raising kids. And that research is where the information for my book, Purpose-Filled Parenting, derived. And so this has just kind of been a lifelong 
journey, a lifelong passion of just promoting healthy families. So you have five children. I do. I do. So my youngest is two and my oldest is 17 and a senior in high school. And he's a young man. So I, so I have an in-between, I have a 15 year old, um, a 10 year old, an eight year old, and then a two year old. So I really like, I'm passionate about parenting education and I really teach you know, what I share are things that I live every day. And so when you talk, when you mentioned this topic to me, I was like, I'm in that stage. I can identify with every part of the emotions. I haven't actually launched, but I'm in that moment where you're imagining at every time the launch is happening, like we are in the launching process. So he's a senior in high school. And so I can just identify with both the professional and the personal yeah. things that go along with this topic. Yeah. You're in the countdown at yes, least. Definitely. <laughs> So launching the child is an important stage as we already talked about. And often this period is riddled with fears and anxieties for both the teen and the parents. Like I mentioned, parents will think things like, will my kids be able to take care of themselves, avoid harm, find success in school or job? Will they know where to get? I was reading some articles as I prepared for this. And one of the moms was like, my daughter called me from college and she said she was sick. And she didn't know what to do. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? Go to the pharmacy. You know, and it just surprises. But these are the fears we have. Like, will they know what to do when they need? And and what if they need us, especially if they're far away? So my first question is, A, what's happening to the teenage brain during this stage? And how can we help them in this next stage of development, in this taking care of yourself stage? I think it's important to keep in mind that they are still teenagers, even though they're launching. And in that teenage stage of brain development, the limbic system is fully functioning. That's the system that's responsible for emotional responses. That's why they can be extra emotional. You know, the emotions of fear, hatred, love, joy. I, I notice in my own sons, like, well, my daughter to my teenager to have two teenagers, just the highs and lows that can come with, with, um, emotions regarding confidence, regarding peers, regarding experiences, it can kind of be all over the place. And so, yeah, so I mean, keeping that in mind, it's the reward seeking part of the brain. It's the part of the brain that's socially simulated. So friends and peer experiences are very important. And so when we're launching at a time when the limbic system is functioning at a high level and the prefrontal cortex is not completely formed, that can be a a little scary. And so the prefrontal cortex, it doesn't fully form until around 25 years old. And so that is the part of the brain that is responsible for executive functioning, for problem solving, for impulse regulation, um, thinking, planning, being deliberate in decision-making. And so to me, what that means is that our kids still need us during that time. I mean, even though they're adolescents, they're launching, they're young adults, they still need us and they still need us to help them along that decision-making process to support them in it, to help them brainstorm and problem solve. Um, and so and so, I think that's where our role shifts is, is, is they still need us, but they're kind of the driver now. I think when they're younger, We drive their experiences, their commitments, their activities. And through this stage, they become the driver and we're kind of the passenger or the the support. And many times we can't be the passenger because they they leave us, but we we can be the person in their ear. You know, they can call us. Thank God for electronics. So they can call us and they can video chat us and they can consult with us as they start to drive that ship of their lives. I love that analogy of the driving because I'm thinking of my husband and I are 
both firstborn children. We both like to be in charge and in control. And he calls me a side seat driver all the time. And then sometimes he'll do it to me and I'll call him a side seat driver. When we think about parenting, some things that we do that are side seat driving, like helicopter parenting um, is one that comes to mind, can be kind of damaging to launching that independence that I can take risks and I can figure things out on my own and somebody doesn't have to be, you know, telling me, letting me know there's there's a car merging or whatever. As a therapist, I often encourage teens to explore their problems. Like a lot of times they'll talk about, like a lot of times parents will call teachers for them or email teachers. And I'm like, well, you're in high school. So why don't you call your teacher? Why don't you email your teacher? Why don't you go work this out with your teacher? Or with a peer situation, you know, parents want to call other parents and try to help their kids work it out. And we just can't do that when they're teens. That just doesn't work. And so kind of helping kids learn to navigate and problem solve on their own. Can you speak to why that is so important and ways parents can encourage that kind of independence that, or even allow for it? I think it's hard because we're yeah. so afraid yeah. if they mess it up, it's going to hurt them too much or wow. they won't survive it, you know, whatever, like that they yeah. can't come back from failures. Yeah, I think that helping kids to start assert that independence starts like with our, we were talking about how we both have two-year-olds with our two-year-olds, you know, where we start to pick out two shirts and say, which shirt do you want to wear today? Or, you know, give them two snack options. Which snack do you want to have right now? And so in that, like we're giving them controlled options, but we're teaching them to make choices within those environments that keep them safe. And so I think it starts then. And it is just so important that we teach our kids that the agency and the autonomy that they have in their own lives. And I think that the shift happens in adolescence is like the exact situations that you shared. You know, let's say you're having trouble with a teacher at school. I think our role is to kind of ask questions. What do you think could help that situation get better? You know, what could you do to improve that relationship? If they're having trouble with a peer, you know, listening. How is that making you feel, you know, understanding their experience and then helping them to move past and problem solve themselves and to, and to start to handle their own challenges. And I think that that's where, um, you know, it's so important that we kind of step back and foster that in them because even from a young age, like we, we get the heart facts that we cannot control every area of their lives. We can't control whether they make the basketball team or, you know, what that peer says at school. And so that lack of control starts early. And I think that we have to own it, it. experience the uh, uncomfort of it, you know, not try to assert that control, but to try to support our kids to develop those problem solving skills, to develop that resiliency. Um, It's hard to sit by and watch your, your kids hurt or experience pain or disappointment. But it's just a part of of life. You know, it's a part of growing up. It's a part they're going to experience that throughout their lives. And it's so powerful for them to learn how to cope with it when they still have you right there, when they're still, you know, living in your house. And so allowing them that that experience and allowing them that opportunity is a part of, of, of preparing them for that launch where they will have to experience those things without you right there. And so good parenting is, is that balance of fostering safety as much as possible, helping to educate them as much as possible, but then also helping them to develop skills, problem solving skills on their own so that they can cope, you know, when we aren't around as much. Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you were saying about talking to your kids and exploring with them. Something, I think we get this expectation or this almost ego that we know our kids. 
and it's hard to accept. And I think a lot of us know at some point when they're teens that we don't really know them as well anymore. And that's a hard one, I think, for a lot of us to swallow. Um, But that curiosity, you know, when your kid comes to you with something, we tend to jump right into like a lecture or a teachable moment instead of hearing them. What is this experience like for you? Um, And so going, I talk to a lot of parents about moving towards their kids with curiosity and their brains are changing so much in their teenage years. They are really turning into a different person. A big part of that is is being slow, slow to speak. You know, listening, Mm -hmm. allowing, not jumping right in as soon as they start to. And that's how you keep those conversations happening. That's how they keep coming to you to open up. If they know that you're not, that they're going to have that space to process and that that, that you're going to be that listener. And that's a big part of it. It's just listening, create, being intentional about creating opportunities for them to open up to you and being a quick listener. Listen first before we speak and before we act. You know, I think that that's huge. Yeah. And you're right. That's what keeps them coming. Because if they think you're just going to give them a lecture and you're not going to understand what their experience is, they're not going to come to you with it. Or if you just jump to do something that's potentially embarrassing to them, then they're not going to come to you. (laughs) So letting them learn that they can trust you and kind of starting to trust them too. So trust is the issue, I feel like, with the teenage years. Like kids don't understand. I see so many teenagers. I'm sure you do too. You work in a lot of schools. You know, they're like, my parents don't trust me and I haven't done any. Why can't they just trust me? Why can't they believe me? Why can't they know I'll make good decisions? I hear this so many times for my kids because they don't understand, you know, why they can't do certain things. Um, and so trust comes up a lot. And then parents being like, well, they lied. So how do I trust them? And, you know, trying to help them navigate that. But I think, you know, Dan Siegel, talks a lot. He has a book called Brainstorm and there's a Google talk. He, he's done a ton of talks on Brainstorm, but the one I like is the Google talk. Um, but he talks about the brain, how it's pruning, how when we're a teenager, you know, everyone's always said it's all hormones, but it's really that your brain is developing into an adult. It is starting that process. And so it gets rid of the neurons we don't use. But what also happens is your brain has to convince you to leave your home, leave where it's safe right? That is a very risky move, going from somebody's taking care of me to I'm taking care of myself. And so our brain actually looks to take more risks. And so knowing this, because that does make it scary, how do I trust my child when I know they're going to want to like speed race in their car or do the riskier things? How do I trust them? So how do we teach our children to A, navigate their risks? And how do we trust them? I do think that that trust is something that should be given, but when it's broken, it has to be earned back. And, and I do believe in, in, in you know, when a, a child is at home and, and setting limits, I think, I think we all need limits. We all need boundaries because they're not at that stage yet, like where they are outside of your home. And so they do need, there's this balance. So for example, you know, they shouldn't be able to just be out all night or do whatever, because that can create an, an environment for them to make, maybe make some bad choices, but maybe they can stay out until midnight, you know, and maybe they can. And so I think you have to figure that out with your own child. I think that maturity happens at different stages, at different ages for different kids. And it's so important to um, know your child, to make sure that you're intentional about continuing to connect and to communicate with them so that you can recognize when they are ready for that increased level of responsibility. And then when they break that trust, almost kind of expecting that that's going to happen because it will. 
and, mm-hmm. and creating an opportunity, giving them grace and creating an opportunity for them to earn that trust back so that they can then kind of get, get that, whatever that uh, increased responsibility or freedom or whatever is. So I think just knowing that, you know, in this stage of life, there's just this delicate balance of creating guidelines because they should still be there. You know, that they're not at the intellectual maturity level to just be kind of living on their own. That's why they're not doing it up until that, you know, up until a certain point. So creating that structure as they develop, but then also, um, you know, allowing more and more freedom so that they can learn to navigate it because they will fall and they will mess up so that you can be there to help them to learn from those experiences and make different choices next time. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes parents, you know, because of our fear, and we're going to get into fear in just a second, but because of our fear of them messing up and, and being hurt, you know, I think I talked to, you know, pregnant women who are already worrying about, you know, if this doesn't happen, this doesn't happen. We're all the way at like, they aren't going to find a good partner and they're not going to be successful in their life and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, wow, the expectations and the pressure, you know, we almost can't even accept that they failed. There's um, another great researcher out there, Carol Dweck. Are you familiar with her? She does growth versus um, fixed mindset. And she talks in this TED talk about, and she has a book. So she's a, I think she's out of Stanford and she's a professor. And she talks a lot about the way that we teach people to think about their actions. And she says there's these schools, um, like the East Coast. And there's these schools and they don't give grades. They give not yet as the grade. Like if you haven't, you know, mastered it, it's not like you failed. It's, oh, you didn't get it yet. We still have more work to do. The research that's come out about failure, about kids don't know how to fail. They don't know how to come back from failure. I I think that those expectations, like I think that it, it can create a lot of pressure for the kids, for the parents. It's so important to expect imperfection because perfection doesn't exist. And so mm-hmm. know that your kids are going to mess up. Know that even that first year of college, like you may see some grades that aren't so appealing because it's a transition. They're learning. I think it's so important to let kids know that you're okay with with them messing up. You're okay with yeah. imperfection. I think the goal in that is is it's helped them to understand that you just want them to learn from that experience mm-hmm. and to problem solve of, of what they can do differently next time so that the next outcome can be different. Yeah. Normalizing and perfection is so important during this stage. Yeah. And recognizing that we're not perfect. Like I could probably go back through my life and tell you plenty of mistakes and I'm still here and I still feel pretty good about my life path. Even as parents, you know, we're not perfect. We're not going to make the best decision every time. We're not going to say the right thing every time. And that's okay. You know, they'll be okay. Yes. Apologizing to your kids. Apologizing is so important. But I think about dishonesty and trust and, that's where I was going with that is like if you they come to you and they're they're honest with you and they say, I screwed up, like I failed my test or I screwed up, I wrecked the car, you know, whatever might have happened. And you respond to them with just, you know, criticism and negativity and that that's unacceptable. They're not going to come to you next time. They want to hide it's from It's important that. to create an atmosphere for them to be honest. You know, mm-hmm. don't be so judgmental. Don't be mm-hmm. so critical. Don't be, you know, to create an atmosphere for them to be imperfect 
and for them to be honest with you about that imperfection. And that's where the trust comes in. You know, that's where, I mean, if they mess up, but they come tell you about it. I mean, you, you're doing something right over yeah, there. Yeah, you're winning there. That's a win. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll never forget. And I feel like this starts so early because I have a, so I have a two and a half year old and a five and a half year old. And my five and a half year old, I'm trying to remember what was happening. I think they were twirling. And we'd already mentioned something about, you know, be careful. You could hurt yourselves. And um, I think she hit heads with her little sister and she hurt her little sister. Right. And so she runs to her room to hide because she thinks she's in trouble. And I'll and I went in there and got down her level and I was like, it was an accident. Like you guys were twirling and dizzy and you hit her head. That's okay. Maybe we need to think of some safer ways to do our twirling. I love that. You're creating an environment for her to be. It's, I just truly believe with all my heart that it starts at that stage. It starts yeah. at that age. You're creating an environment for her to mess up, for her to have accidents, for her and, and, and making her understand that that's okay. Yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah. Honestly, my kids tell me a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know about that stage right now. It's, I've got it that. Right. I and I know that it's, it's because early on, but early on, like that, the, those kind of interactions set the stage for that. But then it has to continue too, because you'll hear some stuff and your internal reaction will be like, what they did, you know, but you have to just stay Take calm it. and just listen and just, you know, create that space for them to keep talking so that you can get all the information. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's important. It is like the fact that you can tell, cause I, I don't know many parents, I, I know very few, I'm not gonna say none, but I know very few parents of teenagers who get information, who know what's going on because, you know, kids hide things. They learn, they're, they get good at it early. My daughter knows how to like sneak candy. I'll never forget finding chocolate when she was three years old. She figured out how to get to the chocolate from like Easter or something. And she, <laughs> it was unwrapped and she hid it under her pillow. So I found melted chocolate in her pillow, but, but they learn that like, they don't want to disappoint you. And they, if they want something, they're going to, you know, kind of try to do it. And so we have to make it safe for those conversations. The instinct is to hide early on, right? Like, cause my, I can tell you stories about my two-year-old sneaking candy and stuff. I feel like the instinct is to sneak and then- Because I want it. I want it you to have, Right. And then we have to teach them that it's okay. You know, that it's okay to mess up. So we have to teach them otherwise. And I think that starts really early. But of course, they, like if, if for some reason you feel like you didn't handle that right earlier, I, I never think it's too late in any parent-child relationship to start to establish that open, honest, authentic communication and to start to create that space for kids to, 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 to be themselves. Yeah, I think the repair takes longer the further down the road, but there's no perfect parent. There's just not. We're going to mess up. I hate saying I'm sorry. My husband's like, you were taught not to say I'm sorry, I swear. And I'm like, I, I know it's really hard for me like I said, firstborns, I like to be in charge. I like to be right. Um, my husband and I both could have been lawyers, I'm sure, in another life. And, you know, but with my daughters, he actually hates this. I mean, he doesn't hate that I apologize. He hates that I don't apologize to him most of the time. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Um, but, you know, with my daughters, I apologize all the time. Like, oh, I lost my temper. Or, and I think it's so valuable because I want them to apologize. And there is so much shame, even with me doing that, there's still so much shame associated with apologizing. I don't know where it comes from, but it's it's just there automatically. Mm -hmm. I agree that it's just because the reality is that we are not going to be 
perfect in our interactions, in our, um, you know, we're human and life can get stressful and we release in ways that aren't always ideal. But if we can go back and acknowledge it and, and apologize, like that's so powerful. And it's such a powerful lesson for our kids. That's modeling right there that sometimes that when they mess up, they can come to you with it. Like you're okay with messing up and that they can apologize, you know? And, and so if we can do it ourselves, it's modeling for them that, that, you know, that that's okay in their lives as well. So we're going to talk about fear, the fear that we have, because a lot of, I think, our reactions. So you're talking about creating space for the relationship, but I also think it's so important to create space for yourself. Like sometimes I might be really close to losing it on my kids and I have nothing to do with them just because life gets ahead of me sometimes, you know, and I'm just frantic to catch up. But if I make space for myself, I can step back and recognize. And I love when I'm able to do this. I am obviously not 100% able to do this. Sometimes I'm just going to lose it and I'll apologize later. Um, but if I can, if I am in that space, if I've been practicing what I've been trying to practice, you know, I do like mindfulness and things to, to develop that awareness. Um, but if I have that space around me, be like, ooh, I'm about to yell at them and I don't even think what they've done is that bad. Like I'm just feeling a lot of anxiety, you know, and I recognize that I can step back and then address it in a way that is healthier and isn't going to make me feel like the worst mom in the world, you know, a few hours later, which none of us are, by the way, we all are just trying to figure it out. And there's no handbook. I think that's so important. First of all, self-care in general, like we want to bring our best selves to every relationship. And, and that means doing those things that help us to be our best selves, whether that's making time for some kind of meditation or prayer or exercise or sleep or mm. eating or, you know, whatever it is that that you need. We learn ourselves and we learn like when we're functioning optimally. I think it's so important as parents that we understand that part of being good parents is to be functioning optimally. Because I think sometimes we can feel guilty about taking time away from other responsibilities to take care of ourselves. But that, that but we are the best in our other responsibilities when we are our best. And so doing that first and then also like, you know, kids can say things that can just rub you the wrong way and catch you at the wrong time. And I think there's just nothing wrong with recognizing that you're about to blow and walking away. Like you can deal with the situation with the kid later when you're calmer, five minutes, 10 minutes, however long it takes, but walking away taking a deep breath. There's just so much powerful power in breathing, getting the oxygen flowing to your brain so that it can think and can function. Taking a deep breath, calming down, really getting to a rational place where you can think about what just happened, thinking about the best way to solve it. It's so important in those relationships and just recognizing that it's, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with stepping away for a minute before going back to confront whatever that situation is. Absolutely. And knowing yourself, I think we, we're so busy as, I mean, goodness, if I think of all the things parents are doing today, you know, working and taking care of kids and taking care of house and take care of other, you know, all kinds of stuff. We're all juggling all the time, you know, just, do you know your, do you have time for yourself? Do you know where you're at? Is your bucket about to overflow? Is your, is your, I talk a lot about balloons where we put all our emotions in a balloon and everyone has a different size balloon and it'll explode at some point. And that's when you get like the, the like real extreme reactions. Like, do you know where your balloon is? Like, is your balloon popping right now? And so what I want 
you know, to talk a little bit about is what do we do? Because I think parenthood is just the most anxiety riddled experience we have Uh, because we're in charge of another person's life for the first time. And in the beginning, they are so fragile. And I don't know that they ever stop feeling fragile just because there's always something new that is a danger or a threat, even going to college, even getting married, you know, forever, forever. And so what do we do with that? How do we manage all that anxiety of like, we love our kids so much and we're, we feel so responsible for them? Yeah, I think that that starts with, with trusting yourself with, you know, along that journey, living the values that you want them to have with um, being an example for them, for how to live in a healthy way, with being intentional about creating a relationship with them, maintaining a relationship with them. And then, you know, you just have to trust. You have to trust that what you've put in them is enough. And and if, of course, you, you probably won't think that it will be, but I mean, because you can't give them everything that they're going to need, but also trusting them that, you know, they're resilient, that they'll learn along the way, that they'll inevitably make bad choices, bump their heads, experience pain, experience sadness, experience sorrow, but that they'll be able to bounce back from that and learn from those experiences and grow from those experiences. I think you have to just approach life with the reality that their lives will not be picture perfect roses and daisies every single day of, of their life. That's just a reality, but just trust that you've, you've placed the right things in them. And you have to recognize that it's just certain things are just beyond your control and no amount of worry will change it. And so, you know, I, I think you have to replace because those fear-filled thoughts will flood your brain and flood your mind. And you have to replace those with those faith-filled thoughts, you know, um, you know, like you have a thought that, you know, they're guns, they're going to go to school and, you know, they, they might get with the wrong people or start drinking or have some kind of, you know, overdose to drinking or, you know, whatever. But I think it's so important that you, you know, when those thoughts come, you remind yourself, well, we've talked about this. I've lived this way in front of them. You know, we, we've done this. I think they have this resources. So you just have to remind yourself about the positive things that you placed in them, the, the positive things that can happen, but then also recognize that, Even with all of that, they might make bad choices and you guys will deal with it at that time and try to move from it and grow from it. And and, and so it's this balance like that. I think the anxiety and the worry starts at a a young age when you send them off to kindergarten. Before then, I think you like even before they might even be in the womb, like you're thinking about having a child. Well, yeah. And then when you're watching them sleep when they're first born, making sure that they're still breathing, I think it starts early on and you've learned to deal with that, right? Like you learn to cope, you learn strategies of dealing with it. I think that when you're launching them, it's kind of pulling from those same resources. It's the same thing, just at another level. You just have to learn to cope. You have to trust that y'all have made the best decisions and that, you know, things will turn out as great as possible in the end. Yeah. And those expectations too. trust that their journey might, will not look like the way you had imagined their journey look most likely their journey will be their own. And that's just kind of what life is. Um, Along those lines, 
you know, and I think you talked about this when I watched one of your videos where you're talking about your book release, I think. And we're talking about trusting our kids. And in Dan Siegel's talk that I was talking about earlier, he talks about how we have to teach kids to trust their gut because that's what they have to go on. And so how do we trust that we've, or how do we in the first place instill that kind of assertive confidence that like, if somebody's offering them drugs, we know they're going to, if they don't like, if they don't feel good about what's happening, that they're going to trust themselves over falling in line and be able to make the choice that they need to make, that they know is the right choice. But sometimes, you know, peer pressure, you know, wanting to fall in line, wanting to be part of the crowd, um, not wanting to be the buzzkill or whatever, you know, those things get in the way. How do we, how do we help our teens develop that? I think a huge part of it is, is in self-esteem is like fueling their self-esteem because kids with high self-esteem are not going to do things just to have friends or do things just to have this person around or that person around. And so making sure that they are self-assured within themselves and that they feel confident with them, with themselves and that they're not looking for external approval, you know, to, to feel good within themselves. And I think practically that looks like, you know, just using positive words to describing them, reframing those things that people may view as weaknesses, as strengths, um, you know, j- just building, helping them to understand that they won't be great at everything, but they are really good at some stuff. And that is so normal. And, you know, so things like that, I think building self-esteem, also teaching them autonomy, teaching them the autonomy that they have over their own bodies, the teaching them the autonomy that they have over their environment. And then I think it's important to have those practical conversations. Okay. If you are in this situation, you know, what are things that you could do to get out of those situations and see what tools they already have and then offer them some more, you know, being in, in, you know, being practical about the, the different situations that can come up. And I think the parents can start to do that by thinking back to their own adolescence and their own early adult years and, and thinking about some of those situations and thinking about, you know, what they did and what they wish they would have done. And I think starting to share some of those stories is important. I mean, you have to be aware, but being authentic with kids about um, where you may not have, have made the best choice. And then this is what happened as a result. These were my negative consequences. You know, my hope is just that if you're in a, in a similar situation that you can make a better choice, I think it's important to be authentic about the wisdom that you've gained over the years and really try to make sure that kids um, that our kids can can draw from that wisdom as they're making decisions, I think can be really important and really powerful. Um, so it's, it's just really about trusting that you've done a good job in instilling values and then also having a lot of practical conversations about how to get out of certain situations and giving them ways out, giving, help making sure that they, they have the tools that they need. And then in that situation, it's just up to them what they do. Like that, it's their choice. We can't control everything, right? All we can do is, um, you know, instill values and, or, you know, live the values and, and, and have those practical conversations. And, and that makes sure that they, that ensures that they have the tools. And then in those situations, all we can do is hope that they use them. And I think also just being true to what you say, and again, being aware of your emotions. Like if you tell them, if you're at a party and it feels not safe, you can call me and I will come get you and I, you will not 
you know, you may have a consequence, but I will not be mad at you. I will not be disappointed in you. Giving him a way out. I'll be proud of you. Yes. And then when they do it, follow through and be proud of them. Be proud that they made that choice. We always, I talk a lot to parents about the red pen. We look for where the red pen can mark, right? What they got wrong or like tests. I love this one. Tests. You know, you got a 60 on a test. That's really bad. But if you really think about it, you got most of it right. The majority right. of the test you got right. You got 30% wrong. This, this, this and this. Good job. Yeah. And so same thing here. Like even if they got themselves into a bad situation, but they made a good choice to get out of it, let's focus on that. Let's give them, then they can trust. They can trust us. I share a lot with my kids about things that I experienced because I I talk to them about, you know, when I, I met this certain person and I had this red flag and this red flag and this red flag and then this happened, you know? And so I think sharing stuff like that of when you were talking about like the gut, sharing those times when, um, you know, when you had those, that, that intuition and you may have made a good choice, may have had a bad choice, sharing those kind of stories can be really powerful. And, and, you know, just reinforcing the idea that they have that intuition within themselves. It helps to keep them safe. And it's important that they listen to that. And that autonomy too, that you've been talking about, like so important to give them opportunities to express autonomy. Something that goes on in my household or when, you know, when it was cold, recently since we had that horrible winter storm. But even before that, when it was cold, you know, one of my things is I let my five-year-old get herself dressed. She can pick out what she wants to wear unless she asks me to. Sometimes she will because she just doesn't want to deal with it. Um, But she'll wear things that aren't appropriate for the weather. And I actually learned this from Daniel Tiger, so I can't take credit for it. But um, I'm like, okay, go outside in that if you want. But if you're uncomfortable, you can always come inside and change clothes. And my husband was like, She's very stubborn. She comes from you and I, and we're stubborn. So I don't think she'll she'll do that. And I'm like, well, that's her choice, though. Like, she gets to choose to be uncomfortable or to come back in and change her clothes and have fun outside instead of freezing, you know, and not being able to enjoy it out of stubbornness. Those are her choices. But I think that autonomy early on um, is so important. And the more opportunities we can find, safe ways to let them experience that. Um, so helpful. I mean, that's good. Just teaching them, um, giving them the autonomy to make choices for themselves and then letting them experience the natural consequences of those choices, because then the, the, the learning and the different choice is internalized. Like it's coming from them, right? Like that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And the giving them choices as much as we can, you know, I, (laughs) I mean, I talk a lot about my kids and my family, um, but we were talking about my two-year-olds in just a very destructive stage. And I was like, I told my husband on the way here, we were talking about some of the stuff she's been doing that's not been the greatest, um, like taking a marker and drawing all over her sister's new carpet. But um, <laughs> I know it was hard. It was a rough. She's been She's been really into that. But I was like, it's two-year-old behavior. He's like, it is. And I'm like, yeah, she's tasted freedom and it tastes good. (laughs) And we were laughing so hard, but I mean, give them some of that because it does taste good. We all like freedom. Just think about how how we react when somebody's trying to control us. We don't like it. They don't like it either. Freedom feels good. Being able to make choices and see what that does for you feels good. And even even if it's if it's perceived freedom, because you know, yeah. I, mean, I think a lot of time as parents, we we give them control choices, and in 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 that, they feel a freedom to make choices. Um, you know, and and we kind of set limits of what those choices are at times. But I think 
just teaching them to make choices is really, really um, powerful. We're talking a lot about general trust and how to trust our kids. But some of the other things that I was reading about last, actually, most of the articles I found around launching the child are about life skills. I don't want to spend too much time on this because honestly, my I love you, mom, but my mom likes to take care. She's very type A and she likes things a certain way. And so, you know, she did a lot of stuff for us. My dad, too. And so going to college, I didn't have a ton of skills like laundry, sorting laundry. I didn't know what that looked like, um, cooking, things like that. And and I'm a great cook now and I'm excellent at taking care of laundry now. So I'm not that concerned. I know we are very concerned, but a lot of the articles did talk about kids just not having the general day-to-day skills, kind of like how I shared that story about the girl going to the pharmacy or not knowing that she could go to like CVS down the street and, and get something when she was sick. So how do we, what are some of the important skills that we you know, need to be working on? And how do we teach our kids these things? Yeah, I think what we've spent so much time on is the most important. Like, you know, what kind of human being are they? What kind of values do they have? How do they feel about themselves? How do we, how do they feel about others? You know, how do they perceive how, how they fit in the world? I think those are the most, most important things. One thing that, um, I noticed with my kids is I wish that they had more life skills, but we've, you know, the way that I set up their lives is that, you know, they're kind of busy. So they have these extracurricular activities that they're really passionate about. And so school is a high priority. They, you know, they take tough classes. And so they spend a lot of time doing really, you know, great work and homework and stuff. And then they're involved in these extracurricular curricular activities that they're really passionate about. And so that creates a lot of time. And I also want to teach them that rest, like they need time for rest and relaxation. And so I will say in my house, I feel like the the life skills is the lacking part. But like you mentioned, um, I think that that's something that can be taught pretty practically, pretty quick. And if they don't know it, they're going to learn it because guess what? If you, if, when you run out of underwear and you can't, um, you can't just keep go buy, going to buy more if you, you know what I'm saying? So they, yeah. they, they're going to get to a point where they have to learn that stuff. And so I'm not as, even though I wish that I had, I'm develop, I would be developing them more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with, you know, with that being the thing that's lacking, when I feel like they're, you know, really values driven human beings that are passionate about, you know, doing good and doing well. And, you know, and so, so we we're not going to raise the perfect, like, I feel like in every parent child situation, there's going to be something we wish we had done a little differently and done a little better. Um, so I can definitely see that the life goes, but I feel like that's really practical. Well, I think you learn some along the way, like when they get a car, you're going to teach them how, hopefully you'll, you'll, I think that's the time to teach them how to change a flat and what to do if the car breaks down on the side of the road. So I think it's a constant thing. Like as I say, get these new responsibilities, you know, just making sure that you're teaching along the way, I think it's really important, but just not beating yourself up if you haven't taught them every little thing. And I think as you can give them autonomy and teach them those life skills here and there, it's really important. It's really powerful. You know, the more that they can contribute to the household because then they'll, they'll know how to, you know, have their own household, but just kind of giving yourself a little grace that I feel like, you know, some things aren't, we're not going to be able to Absolutely. Yeah. I was even, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, like I said, I picked up and I'm like, these kids are more 
technologically savvy and they pretty much can look if they want to do something, if they want to create something, they just look it up anyway. And now they would probably be better than us because we do what we were taught, right? And they know how to like find the research right way to do I didn't understand any of that or the hot water versus the cold water. You know, that took that was a trial and error for me. They can just look it up and probably be the best laundresses in the world or, you know, whatever. Um, But what I was thinking about that story about the pharmacy while you were talking, I was like, you know what? She probably knew she could go to the pharmacy and get, you know, some cold medicine or whatever was going on. She probably was reaching out for that connection. Like when I'm sick, my mom takes care of me and I'm going to call my mom. And that's okay. Like I'm an adult and I'm just so grateful that both both, both of my parents are still alive. I know that's not the case with everybody, but I still need that cur- that nurturance at times, you know? And, yeah. and I think and you're only a phone call away, you know, you're only a text message or video chat away. And so they, they, it's not like you're disappearing. But I, I, at the same time, I do think like, I also do prepare my kids for one day. I'm not going to be alive because I do want them to always you know, have me as a resource, but also know that they can function without me. So I think it's a balance in that. That's amazing that you talked to them about that. I haven't even thought about talking to mine about that. I do. I mean, because you just, you know, you just never know. And I'd, I'd never want, I feel like sometimes death is such a difficult, difficult thing. And, and when you just aren't expecting somebody to leave, I feel like it can, it can, you can really get stuck like in that place in your life. And so, you know, we always talk about like planning, but I always tell them like, if I wasn't here, I would still want you to do this and do that and do this. And um, I, I don't think I'm traumatizing them. I just want them to know that, that, you know, life goes on regardless of the circumstances. Cause unfortunately things happen, you know, yeah. and I just yeah. will always want them to know we're, Regardless of what happens, like you gotta keep going, you know, and you have to figure out a new way of being to be able to be your best self again. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I need to, I'm gonna have to figure out a way to implement that into my parenting. But oh, what I was gonna mention regarding life skills, even though, like we've said, I think kids will figure it out, regardless, as long as you've given them, you know, the skills to know that they can, the confidence to know that they can. Um, and you're there for them in, you know, a kind and curious way when they need you. Um, but, you know, for me, teaching life school skills came from my own self-care, like, you know, working and parenting and running a household is hard. And so I'm like, what can I give away? So like my oldest, my five-year-old, she feeds the animals. Sometimes my two-year-old helps her. So she's in charge of feeding the animals in the morning and the evening. And then she has to collect the laundry from all the rooms and put it in the washer and transfer it. Yeah. So that's just like her early intro. So I think that um, those skills kind of can come out of necessity. So if there's something that you, they are capable of doing that you could take off your plate as a parent, because our self-care is so important, especially with being able to be on top of these types of parenting skills we're talking about, you know, give give them those skills, give them what you can't handle right now. And they can. Yeah. And, and I said that about my kids being busy. There's times in the summer when they're not as busy and they do participate more in the daily um, you know, running of the household because it's our household, you know? (laughs) Yes. And that community and working together and that everyone gives, I think that's such an important message that, you know, I don't know that I feel like it's gotten a little lost over the years and it's such an important message. Yeah. Our household, like we all have a responsibility here.
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness. Please let us know your thoughts by leaving a review and subscribe if you want to hear more of our content around managing mental health across the lifespan. If you would like to learn more about our work, events, and organization, please follow us on Instagram at Nick Finn Council or on Facebook at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center. NFCC is here because counseling matters. Special thanks to Jim Roman for composing our wonderful intro-outro music. Until next time, remember to make time for your mental health.